0: I am a recovering people pleaser. I am. Somewhere in my life, I began to believe that if I performed well and if I made people happy and if I was helpful, then I would be full and I could be complete and I I would be whole. And I quickly realized that I could handle disappointing myself, but I could not handle disappointing other people. And so as I look back, it was probably in high school. When I started to say yes to everybody else, I would say yes to everything else. And I would probably say no to myself and I would say no to the people closest to me. And and if I'm honest, I probably said no to the things that were really important to Jesus. And So I carried that thinking on into Bible college and even my first ministry. And I would soar high at the compliments of people, but I would plunge to the depths of the earth at the criticisms of people. So I was preparing some lessons one time in the book out of the book of song of Solomon. I came across this one verse that said, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And it did something to me. It did something to me. And I realized that I didn't need to soar high at the compliments of people. And I didn't need to plunge to the depths of the earth at the criticisms of people. Why? Because his love, God's love, the love of Jesus is never based on my performance. And the love of Jesus is never conditioned by my mood. Jesus's love is consistent. And Jesus's love for me is is reliable. and, And his love for me is tender. And so once I realized and let the raging love of Jesus change me, and I mean really change me, get inside of me and change me, I found a confidence founded in his love and not on the love of other people. See, his love, the love of Jesus is so overwhelming and it's so outstanding that I want to live my life for him and not for others. My name is Tom and I'm unfinished. Yeah, they got me, right? I tried everything I could not to do one of those videos, and there it is. So yeah, yeah. I thought, you have to hear from me all the time. You don't need my video, but there it was right there. Hey, we are wrapping up this series called Unfinished, and uh, I, I, I love the book of Philippians. I think the book of Philippians on face value looks like a really fun book, but then you start digging into it, and there are some mighty lessons that are found in it as we dig into it. And so, quick review, if you've not been with us in this journey, chapter 1 really, you know, is talking to us about how to find joy regardless of our circumstances. Remember this? Regardless of our situations, that we can find joy. And then chapter 2 moves in, and Paul tells us, hey, one of the things that can steal our joy is other people. Right? Have you ever had other people steal your joy? Have you ever had circumstances or situations steal your joy? And so Paul says, don't let that happen, right? Don't let other people steal your joy. And then we got to chapter 3, and and chapter 3 was really about our stuff and our things, right, that can steal our joy. Have you ever had your stuff or your things steal your joy? Right? Have you ever had your car break down? Right? I mean, your joy just seems to fly out the engine of the car, right? Whoosh! Just like that. And so we have these, this whole idea. And then chapter 4 was about how worry, worry often about our stuff and our things and other people and our circumstances can steal our joy. And so at the end of chapter 4, I think Paul's really just driving everything home. And what he wants us to find is he wants us to find contentment. And he wants us to live content lives. And so the challenge for us is to figure out how to have that pursuit of contentment, to find that that level of contentment. And so for Paul, instead of having these ups and these downs as situations and as circumstances change, Paul said, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go on steadily. I'm going to do my work, and I'm going to work for Jesus, and I'm going to serve Jesus. And so at the end of this letter to the church church, in Philippi, Paul indicated what he's already written about over and over and over and over again, that he was not going to be a victim of his situations. He was not going to be a victim of his circumstances. He was not going to be a victim over what other people thought about him or said about him. He wasn't going to be a victim of the, uh, of the things that caused worry and stress and still stole his joy. He wasn't going to be a victim of worry. Instead, he was going to have victory over these things. And that's what he's really driving at. In other words, as we read this, you're going to see that Paul says, you know what, I can accept all things. I can accept all things. He's going to say, I can do all things. And he's really going to say, I can have all things. Paul didn't need to be pampered to be content. And sometimes I think in my own life, I think, well, if God would just make it a little easier, it'd be a little easier to be content, right? <laughs> But what Paul's saying is that's not really how contentment works. That's not how you find a life of contentment, right? Instead, he says, the only way to be able to find contentment is in what Jesus provided for him. So let's look at this. Chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, what's the word? Content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so if you read this, you're going to hear that Paul's saying, regardless of my circumstances and regardless of my situations and regardless of other people and regardless of my stuff and my things and regardless of my worry, he's learning that he can accept all things, do all things, and have all things. And he doesn't need to be pampered to be content. Instead, he's going to rely on what Jesus gives him to be content. And so there's a word of caution here because there's a big difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment is not complacency, and contentment is not a false sense of peace based on ignorance, all right? And so there's a big difference. The, the, the complacent Christian is really unconcerned about others, while the content Christian is willing to sacrifice for others. Contentment is not an escape from the battle that we call life. Instead, it is a peace that is found in abiding in Jesus and it's a confidence that it's found in the midst of life. The fight, the battle, the journey, the race. That's what contentment is. And so I love what Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need, but Paul says, I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." What Paul's saying is, listen, on that road to Damascus, you remember where was Paul going on the road to Damascus? Hello? Where was Paul going on the road to Damascus? Right, he was going to Damascus, right? Jesus met him that day. You thought it was a trick question. That was a real question, people. Come on. You can't believe how many people get that wrong. All right? It's like asking from which animal do we get whale bones from? Uh, ducks, right? Anyway, you guys aren't supposed to encourage that nonsense, all right? What was I saying? Oh, on the road to Damascus, Paul meets Jesus, right? And there Jesus is, and Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why, why do you perse- persecute me? You remember this whole thing? And, and literally, literally, Paul kind of gives his life to Jesus there and decides that he's now going to serve Jesus and not, not this other stuff. Well, a lot of us can think, well, that's when his life of contentment began. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus took his life and went, flipped it upside down. All right? And so contentment was learned. And so this word learned literally means learned by experience. So Paul's contentment wasn't something that he immediately had after he believed and followed in Jesus. Paul had to go through many difficult situations and many difficult circumstances in, in his life to learn how to be content. And so the lesson here right out of the gate is let's not be afraid of the difficulties that we face. Let's not be afraid of the situations that we are in. Let, let's realize that these Things that are ahead of us that seem really hard and really, really difficult are actually going to be a part of the journey so that we can learn how to be content. And so then we have to look at this word content, right? Which actually means contained. Contained. I'm like, how did we get content out of contained? But we did, according to the experts, right? But what it does is it describes this resource that's found in humans, it's a resource that's within us, regardless of the substitute resources on the outside, right? It's not dependent upon substitutes on the outside. It's something that's within us. Literally, the Greek word means self-sufficient. It means self-sufficient. Now, for the Christian, this is not self-sufficient within himself, right? But he is sufficient in who? Jesus, right? And so Jesus lives within us. He is contained within us. Do you get it now? So we have adequate resources to face the demands and, and the situations and the circumstances that we have in this life. That's why in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord, he says. And what I believe happens here is that Paul is really going to give us some resources, secret resources, the secret sauce, the secret ingredient to have this full life, this content life, a life of contentment, right? And so look at verse 10 again. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what are these secret resources of contentment? Well, of that verse we have the first one. This is what it is. It's called the providence of God. The providence of God. I, I, honestly, I tried to find a better word. It's the only word I could really come up with that would describe what we're talking about. What is the providence of God? Well, the providence of God is actually a very straight... The word providence is actually a very striking word, right? It comes from the word provide. Can you say that? Say provide. Provide, provide right? Which actually has two parts to it. Did you know this? And so you have the first word, which is actually pro... And, and in the Latin language, it means forward or on behalf of. All right? So that's the word pro. Everybody say pro. pro. Right? Now say this really cool word, vide. vide. I never say vide ever. Right? But vide is just a fun word to say. What does vide mean? Well, in the Latin, it means to see, to see, to see. And so you might think that provide would mean to see forward or to foresee, but it does. And what it really means is it means this to supply what is needed, to give sustenance, to give support. And so the noun providence, the providence of God, it is literally, it means the act of providing for or sustaining or governing the universe of God. And so for you and for me, this is what the providence of God means. Now listen. I know right now some of you are like, Oh, dear Lord, put me to sleep. But this is awesome stuff. All right? So keep going with me here because this just gets me all excited and a little riled up, right? Because what it means is it means the working of God in advance to arrange circumstances and situations that are ahead of me Right, that I'm going to have to go through in this life we call the Christian life, the journey, the race, all these things, right? And so he's working to arrange and advance the circumstances and the situation so that he can fulfill his purposes for my life. Do you understand the providence of God now? This is what it means. It means a lot of us look ahead, and there are some really scary things ahead. Right? There's a lot of things, there's a lot of mess ahead of us, and it's scary, and it's overwhelming, and and we really don't want to go through that. We will literally do everything we can to go around it, but when we understand the providence of God, God is arranging some things in advance for us to go through so that we might learn how to be content. And all of a sudden, some of you are like, I don't think I want to be content, you mean I have to go through more mess to learn contentment? Yeah. Yeah. But this is the deal with the pursuit of content. There is there's the providence of God is involved. The providence of God is real. Do you remember Joseph? Do you remember Joseph? I mean, remember everything Joseph went through? The, the chosen child of his father, right? The brothers take him. They throw him in a ditch. They think that's a bad idea. They sell him into slavery. He ends up going to Egypt, right? He ends up being a servant. He's accused of some things. He's thrown into jail, but then he can interpret dreams. Do you remember all of this stuff about the life of Joseph, right? And eventually he becomes number two in command because he can interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Remember this? Ah. and you remember what was said of him? God said, I sent you to preserve life. I mean, all that stuff Joseph had to go through, all that that Joseph had to go through so that God could use him to preserve life. And do you remember when the brothers show up, what Joseph says, he says, all these things that you meant for evil, God meant for the good. Right, This is the providence of God here. Paul experienced the providence of God in his life and in his ministry. And this is why he wrote in Romans 8.28 with full confidence. He said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purposes. That's what what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's a mess, and there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of circumstances. You have a lot of people who are going to say awful, terrible things about you, who are going to be against you, who are not going to help you. You're going to have stuff in this life, and that stuff's going to break, and it's going to try to steal your joy, and you're going to worry a lot about a lot of things. But on the other end of it, God is God. And he's going to do something really beautiful and awesome out of it. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that God in his providence had caused the church of Philippi to become concerned about Paul's needs. And it came at a time when he needed their love and they were concerned, but they lacked the opportunity. And for us, it's really the opposite. Sometimes we have the opportunities, but we lack the concern. This is what I want you to hear. I want you to believe this. Life is not a course of accidents. Life is a course of appointments, right? And when we're going through this life and we think there's a mess and these circumstances and these situations cause all this heartburn, right? Anybody ever had heartburn because of the circumstances of life? Yeah. Instead of all of that, we can have this confidence because of the providence of God. Do you remember what John chapter 10, verse 4 says when Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd? That's what he says. When he was brought out all his own he goes before them get that he goes before them the good shepherd goes before us through the mess and the circumstances and the situations and the other people and the stuff and the things the good shepherd goes before us and what do we do we follow we follow because we know his voice Literally on the other side of this mess that we call life, we've got Jesus saying, follow my voice. Follow my voice. Listen to me. Come this way. I'm right here. Keep going. Keep coming. Come on, come on, come on. I know it's hard. I know you want to give up. I know you want to give in. I know you want to quit. But the providence of God is real, and Jesus is on the other side of that mess saying, I'm right here. Keep coming. Keep coming. This is what we call the providence of God, and it is a incredible, an incredible resource in the pursuit of contentment. We just have to believe it, right? Let's look at the second one, Philippians chapter four, verse eleven. It says this: "Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what's the key word? Content." Right? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, he says, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Paul's really quick in this text to say, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm not complaining. Right? He's saying, don't hear me complaining. Why? Because for Paul, his happiness did not depend on his circumstances his happiness didn't depend on other people and his happiness did not depend on stuff and things right i mean his happiness his joy came from something much deeper something far different than poverty or prosperity right so in other words i think of what jesus said to john to write in revelation chapter 3:17 it says this we can be rich we can be increased with goods and have need for nothing but he also said, but you lack something. And often we can have everything we need, right? Everything we want and still lack this next key essential in the pursuit of contentment. And it is the power of God. We can actually lack the power of God. And the power of God is the second, the second ingredient, the secret, second secret to finding and fulfilling this life of contentment, right? Did you catch it? He said, he said, I've learned in secret I've learned in secret, right? This actually refers to a pagan concept of the inner inner secrets, that you would be a part of the pagan rituals and find the inner secrets of it. And Paul's like, you know what? We're going to take that word back. We're going to get that word back. And Paul's saying, here's what it means. I have been initiated into the secret. How? Through trial and testing, right? And again, you're thinking, I don't want that. But it's part of what the journey is. And so it's trial and testing. Through these trials and tests, he was initiated or he learned the secret to contentment in spite of his poverty or in spite of his prosperity. The secret, and what is the secret? The power of God. It's the power of Jesus within Paul that gave him this contentment. And when you think about it, all nature, all nature depends on a hidden resource. All right? All of nature. When you think of the biggest, most grandest, awesome tree you've ever seen, right? How many of you have ever seen a big tree? I mean, there are some really big trees, especially in the Northwest, right? You go to Texas, there's little trees. You come here, there's big trees, right? I remember taking my family to the Rose Garden one time, and they couldn't even, like, put their arm around one single tree. And they're like, oh, these are huge. Here's the deal. Think of the biggest, biggest, greatest tree you've ever seen. The tree, the tree has to send roots all the way deep down into the earth. And once it gets deep down into the earth, it draws up water and it draws up minerals, right? Does everybody understand that part of the tree? And so the most important part of the tree is actually the part of the tree that none of us can see. It, none of us can see it. The root system, the most important part of a Christian's life, is part that only God can see. And unless we take our roots and we draw really deep and we draw off the deep resources of God, we will fail against the pressures of life. We will fail against the situations and the circumstances. We will fail against what other people say about us or try to do to us. And we will fail against how stuff causes havoc in our life. And we will fail against the worries that consume us and dictate how we feel. We have to draw deep down into the root system, right, with our root system into the power of God. Paul depended on the power of God and the work of Jesus in his life. He was dependent on it, and we've seen this throughout the book of Philippians. Verse 6 says this, and I am sure of this, that he who Jesus began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, right? He's depending upon the power of God to do the work, Chapter 1 verse 21, remember key verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, how in the world do we do that? Well, he's depending on the power of God within him to live this way. Chapter 2 verse 12 says, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your fear or work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you. He's saying, I can't do this on my own. It's dependent upon the power of God, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Chapter 3, verse 10 says, that I may know him and that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so Paul depended on the power of Jesus at work in his life. You remember this? It's work in us so that he can do something through us. It's Jesus working in us. So something might be accomplished through us. I love how the J.B. Phillips translation says this. Listen to this. It has been a great joy to me that after all this time you have shown such interest in my welfare. I don't mean that you had forgotten me, but up till now you had no opportunity of expressing your concern. Nor do I mean that I have been in actual need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances may be, I know now how to live when things are difficult, and I know how to live when things are prosperous. And wouldn't that be a great reality for all of us? In general, and in particular, I have learned the secret of facing either poverty or plenty. Here it is. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. I can face whatever mess is ahead of me. I can deal with whatever circumstances I might be in the middle of, whatever situations I might face. I can do this. I can deal with the people who are against me and want to steal my joy, and I can overcome this this up and down and twist and turn based on the stuff and the things in my life. Why? Why? Because of the power that is within me. It is the power of Jesus. It is is what the Holy Spirit is in us. The same Holy Spirit that helped raise Jesus from the dead is within me and gives me the power to follow the still, sweet, small voice of Jesus saying, Come on. I'm right over here. Keep coming. Keep pushing. Keep moving. Don't quit. Keep running. And this is the power of God, right? The Amplified Version says it this way. I can do all things which He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose because I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Man, here's what I want you to know. In Jesus I have all the power within me and all of that power is enough for the demands of life that I'm going to experience. The power of God within me is enough for me to get through whatever is ahead. Man, you add that to the providence of God where God's like, I'm going to use that to do something beautiful and remarkable. There is power. Do you see this? I can do this. I can find this content life. Jesus taught the same lesson. Remember the vine and the branches, John chapter fifteen. He is the vine; we are the branches. A branch is good only for bearing fruit. Otherwise, it might as well be burned up. You remember this? The branch does not bear fruit through its own effort, but by drawing on the life of the vine. John fifteen five says this: "I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit." For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, as the Christian maintains his connection with Jesus, the power of God is there to help us through whatever we might face. Because God's power is adequate enough for every task and every circumstance that the Christian might endure. Are you with me there? Let's look at the last one then. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. It says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. I love those words, giving and receiving. They're key words. But he says this, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, these gifts, a fragrant offering, a sacrificial, acceptable, and pleasing to God kind of fragrant offering. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, what Paul does is he pauses and he thanks the church in Philippi for the generous gift. And with their gift, what Paul reveals to us is the third secret to finding and pursuing and living this life of contentment. You know what the third secret is? It's the promise of God. There's a promise here. And sometimes in a lot of different faith backgrounds, this promise is sometimes misunderstood and it can get kind of messy. But there's a two part promise here. And the first part is this it's an investment. It's an investment. Paul looked at their gift that they sent through Epaphroditus as as an investment. And when it comes to God, every investment that's giving, there is a spiritual dividend that's given back. There there just is, right? And the church entered into this arrangement of giving and receiving. That's why I love those words. They would give and they would also receive. And, And the church, what they did is they gave materially to Paul and, and here's where it gets sideways, right? Some people say, well, if you give $10, God's going to give you 100 Guess what? That's never happened to me. All right? It would be really cool if it would, right? How many of you think we'd all... It, listen, if it really worked that way, wouldn't we all give a lot more? Right? Like if God gave it literally to us tenfold, like $10 and the next day you get 100 bucks, how many of you would give 10 bucks next week? Yeah, raise your hands right there. I see. See, I... Some of you aren't raising your hands. But this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, we go into this agreement of giving and receiving. The church gave materially to Paul, and the church, the people in Philippi, were going to receive something very spiritual from God in return. Why do we know this? How do we know this? Because God keeps the books. God keeps the books, and God will never fail to pay on spiritual dividend. The church and the Christians who fail to share materially are poor. How many of you know somebody who has everything they could ever want? They really have no need in the world, and yet they are some of the most miserable people you've ever met. Anybody? And yet every time I take a group of people to work in the slums in Nairobi, Kenya, the first thing in our first debrief that I hear every time is, I'm just amazed. They're all so happy. How is that? How is it that whether you're in poverty or prosperity, it can really mess with you and mix it up, right? It's just kind of goofy that way. Well, here's why. Because when we give materially, when we participate and we partner with God materially, he does something spiritually and we get a spiritual dividend in return. It's a promise of God. It's a promise. He promises it. There's a second part to this promise and it has to do with sacrifice, right? Right? Paul looked at their gift as a spiritual sacrifice, as something that was given to God for the glory of God. And there is something very real about spiritual sacrifice, especially when we practice spiritual sacrifice in the Christian life. There's something very real about it, right? First Peter writes this, or Peter writes this in 1 Peter, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Here it is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Like the Christian life is all about this act, this spiritual sacrifice. It's about about doing and giving, right? Our bodies are supposed to be a sacrifice. Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? What? That's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, here it is, testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect to Him. Our lips are supposed to offer a sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of what? Praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Acknowledge His name. Right? How about lost souls? In Romans chapter 15, verse 6, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by our holy God. And when we strive to help other people find Jesus, this is a real spiritual sacrifice. Paul did not see the gift that came from Philippi simply as a gift from them. Paul viewed the gift that came from the people in Philippi as a gift from heaven. Why? Because Paul's trust was in who? It's in Jesus. And so there's an interesting contrast in verse 18 and 19. This is what verse 18 and 19 really is saying So just work with me here, right? Paul's saying, you met my need, and God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God is going to bless you, and God is going to give you what you need and supply your need out of his riches. That's really what this verse is saying. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Listen to this. And now I have it all. And keep getting more. The gifts you sent with Epaphroditus were more than enough. And I like how he describes it. Like a sweet-smelling sacrifice roasting on the altar, filling the air with fragrance, pleasing God to no end. You can be sure that God will take care of everything you need. His generosity exceeds, exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Our God and Father abounds in glory that just pours out into eternity. And I like how Eugene Peterson ends it, yes, yes. Notice something really important, because this is where we get confused. Paul's promise is not to supply all of our greeds. It's to supply all of our needs, not our greeds, our needs, right? True story, or not true story, but true situations. People have said to me, I just can't believe in Christianity because I asked God, and I asked God, and I asked God for this thing, and it never happened. And I'm like, well, is that a need, or is that a, a greed, right? Because there's no promise in the Bible that says he's going to meet our Everybody work with me here. Our wants and our greeds, right? But he is going to meet all of our our needs. This promise, this promise, the providence of God, the power of God, and the promise of God can help us live this content life regardless of who's in what political office. It can, it, the power of God and the providence of God and the promise of God will help us live this content life regardless of what our 401k is doing or what the stock market is doing. Can you understand this? This is what Paul's saying. We can live the content life regardless of what's happening in our life and around our life regardless of the circumstances we have and the situations we're in, and and regardless of the health report we're going to get from the doctor this week, we can still live this content life because we have the providence of God, the power of God, and the promise of God. And so, so for us, we just have to do it, right? This is what I want you to hear. When I do God's work in the way for God's glory, when I do God's work in God's way for God's glory, I'll get it right, I will not lack for God's supply. That is the promise. Contentment comes from a very adequate resource. God's providence, God's power, and God's promise. And it is enough. These are enough for us. They are adequate enough for us to go through whatever life might demand, whatever circumstance we might endure, whatever situation in our life that we might go through. It is enough to live a content life, not a complacent life, a content life in the midst of all of that. God, thanks for today. Thank you for these words. I I believe that all of us, really deep down, God, we'd love to be content. We'd love to live this content life. That regardless of the circumstances and the situations around us and regardless of what other people do or say to tear us down or to distract us, regardless of what breaks or doesn't break the stuff and the things in our life, regardless of the amount of worry that we have, God, I think we all desire to live this content life. And so for me, God, continue to take me on this journey to learn it, to learn it through the tests and through the trials, through the fires, and through the challenges and the difficulties and the pain. Use those, God. Use those to teach me how to be content. And God, when I'm in the middle of them and I want to give up and I want to give in and I want to throw in the towel and I want to quit and I want to get out, may I with confidence hear the voice of Jesus on the other side saying, keep coming, keep running, push through, fight hard. I'm on the other side. In Jesus' name. Amen.